Jacket. All you need is a, is a, is a little mustache and a hat. You need to be all <laughs> on Star Trek. Welcome. I'll do that next week. Good, good. Welcome to Fallout Podcast EP 22. Double, double figures, a.k.a. very standard industry procedure. It's a fall reckoning, all 525 songs, acknowledging one another in a cardinal paladin head-on, vivisected into four periods, 77, 85, 86, 93, 94, 2001, and circa the 21st century. With me tonight, as always, is Monsieur Pippington Beard, Ace of Wands, Star Trek, the motion picture enthusiast. How is life? On the top shelf, I feel like I'm I'm coming into first contact. It's uh, it's a big wide world out there, Brendan. But my eyes are wide open, and I'm, I'm eager. And uh, Lord Sage Temple, the Ace of Cups, aka the Twilight Relic, is it half empty or completely empty? It's all void. Oof, cold and dark, but but also welcoming in its own way. The Pemberton Walker, Ace of Base, seventeen ninety to eighteen fifteen. Sponsored by Sabian Solars. How are you there, Alistair? I'm all right. I'm, I am in transit. Good. Keep on moving. Don't stop. Invisible Jay Peel, as always, joining us from the other side. Preternatural Encyclopedian Mochi Chua. Is he with us this evening? Well, <clears throat> some rather shocking news, Brendan. Some rather shocking news. Tell me more. There's a, a hideous scrawl that's that appears on the uh, on the psychic rice paper saying that Peely is gone. I believe we have a new invisible visitor. A second so death. You know, the real Peel has been consorting with Beatrice. Got wind of your impieties and sent Virgil down to these lateral realms and tossed the swine into the lava. You are now speaking to Tim Three, all fish-lipped and gibbous. Oh, good Lord. Well, let's hope he's uh, a little more reasonable than the last chap. And myself, the host, $1 fish tacos and squash casserole, broccoli, carrots, roasted vegetables, mashed potatoes, red beans and rice, dirty rice, vegetable soup and a chicken garden salad. Um, I want to say I was on the Puritan's Guide to Fall Songs Guide a few weeks ago. So thanks to Hiram and Bob. They welcomed me and we talked about the English scheme for a good long chunk of time and uh, had a lot of fun. So you can find that out there on the interwebs. And tonight we're going to look at, before we get into the main event, uh, Pip over there is going to introduce one of our futures and pasts, influenced and influencers, I believe. Is that true, Philip? It's right, Brendan, because I because I listened to that podcast that you did with those uh, American chaps. Yeah, one of the things that you referenced was a Weezer pet, and I, I thought that was a, a good lens in terms of the uh, the seventies attitude towards Germany from the British working class, which I think is a, is a good stepping stone in terms of uh, the fall and the relationship to the seminal Comish music band. Um, beep, 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 my, my link detector, my link ray, my segue detector, my maidly zone just went into full effect. Who are we talking about tonight, Phil? So we're talking about Can, Brendan. We're talking about the crowd rock band Can. Uh, There's no such word as Can. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I don't believe anybody listening to this won't have come across Can before in the past, but on the rare occasion that somebody stumbles onto our recording and he doesn't know who Can are, 
They're, um, they're a band that come from a, a batch of German bands in the very late 60s, early 70s that were really quite innovative and, and very influential, but in a very underground kind of way. The first things that I, I guess that I wanted to mention about them is um, that of, of that batch of bands that came out, they had a very strong drive to try and invent something a bit different with rock music that wasn't British or American, which uh, which very much comes from a blues kind of background. The... Um, the, the, the guys in Germany did what all bands do that try and formulate a unique sound, which is to essentially copy the Velvet Underground. So the first tune that I've picked out is off the first album, Monster Movie, which I should have got ready, really. You've, you've pounced on me slightly unawares. I only gave you a month's notice, yes, apologies. You've like 67 can songs, Phil. You're quite a fan, yeah, though. Is. But see if you can pick out the uh, the Velvet Underground influence in this one. A little bit there when that guitar came in. <laughs> so, um, so lots of lots of similarities there, but that's essentially only where they start. Well, in many ways, they're, they're actually the opposite of the fall because whereas the fall all orbited around one guy, and um, Cam were really four of musicians in the centre that uh, that are different from at different stages and even did the role themselves for a period of time um, in terms of vocal duties. First guy, though, you heard was Malcolm Mooney, who, and I think it was Ezra who pointed out the other week, actually, that a lot of Mikey Smith's inflections actually come from Malcolm Mooney. The more that I've listened to it, and the, there's a great album that got released of, of unreleased recordings called 68 Delay Album, which is absolutely littered with stuff that it sounds like Mark's lifted, although it, it must have been his psychic powers that picked up on that rather than being able to listen to it. But that's off the first album, that's a track called Fire Cannot Yell. The musicians themselves, um, Erman Schmidt on keyboard. Uh, we had a bit of debate about how to say the bassist now, didn't we? Holger Suke, I'm going with, but you're, you're open to your own pronunciations on that. These two are important because they were both students of Caroline Stockhausen, who is another useful touchstone in understanding where they were coming from. And, and Stockhausen's sort of playfulness and sense of humour, I think, is really important as well. The, the other two core guys are Michael Corelli's mandolin and the staggering drum performance of Jackie Leibzit, who was uh, was a jazz drummer many years before joining camp. Um, It's that jazz drumming, really, that informed what became the signature Krautrock drum beat of what became known as Motorik. So the next tune that I've picked kind of highlights some of that stuff. It's off the album Future Days. I think you should be able to hear all of those things that I've just been talking about in this.
So you can probably hear really unique sounds, jazz, not blues, sense of humour in what they do, playfulness and open-minded. The, the most famous albums that they did, the astonishing Eggy Bamyasi, which for my money is, is one of the best albums ever. I, I think they really don't put a foot wrong all the way through it. And obviously Stockhausen's other fa- most famous pupils were probably the guys at Kraftwerk. And you can you, you start to hear a lot of electronic experimentation, mainly through Hermann Schmidt, but also Holden Suka, with a lot of background tape recording noises start coming into it, a lot of textural kind of stuff. They just produce this astonishing sound that's really inventive, really unique. And, and, and my last one is just a breath, breathtaking track, just a, an amazing bit of recording. And really highlights that unique sound. And this is off the uh, the album Tego Mego. Very experimental. The, the jazz underpinning gives them this this really contrapuntal sense where everybody's playing off everybody else rather than the more kind of standard blues rock kind of approach of everybody playing the same rhythm. It's it's tight but loose. And I've not even gone into the live stuff. Hopefully that'll give give what people's appetite to go and explore can themselves. Yeah, and and Ezra sat there very patiently. I know that Ezra is a huge, huge can fan. Ezra, what do you want to what do you want to add to this this conversation? Well, there there is so much. I mean, to start off with, in a world where bands like Led Zeppelin and the Grateful Dead are world famous, it just beggars belief that can are still relatively unknown because they shit all over most bands from a great height and especially bands like that. The arc of albums that they did starting off with Monster Movie and ending with I would say Sunova Bavaluma is really just gobsmacking and there's something kind of cabalistic about it because you know you, you start off with the kind of magmatically molten underground vibes of Monster Movie and then there's this gradual ascension to the earth with Tego Mago, to the forest, the jungle with Eggy Bamiasi, and then into the heavens with Future Days and Babaluma. And it's fucking amazing. To talk about their kind of connection with the fall, as, as Philip mentioned, so many of like Malcolm Mooney and also Damo's kind of vocalizing got into Marky e. Smith's head. And you can hear him doing it all the time, like, uh, 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 uh. The other thing which hit me, like, last night listening to Khan was that, and I think this is maybe the key kind of influential point that I could come up with anyways, is that Khan's music, their songs, they're all quite emotional and they all describe different emotions. You know, the albums do and also the individual songs do. But it's hard to put your finger down on exactly what it is they're about because the lyrics are mostly nonsense. Um, But the playing is really, there's some real emotional power there. And 
it's vague. You know, you can't say it's a love song. You can't say it's a sad song. You can't say it's necessarily a happy song, although often these emotions are communicated like joy or foreboding or like the sense of awe or whatever. And I really think that this was possibly a major influence for Marky e. Smith because when you get to the fall, well, most of their songs, certainly their best songs, they have a powerful emotion behind them and you can sense it. But at least on first blush, it's maybe hard to like kind of narrow it down as such. And so there's this refusal to be kind of like hemmed down by precise meaning. I mean, as, as Marky e. Smith himself said, what do you mean? What's it mean? What's it mean? You know, like it, it, to me, I think that was like possibly a major influence. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, love in the room for Can. The arc of albums, it gets a little bit ropey after that, but there's still gems right the way till the end. Uh, but yeah, absolutely magical at times. Al, what's your kind of thoughts on Can? Well, I've uh, been a big fan of Can for many years since I was a teenager. You know, uh, trodden many a mile uh, listening to uh, the likes of Mushroom. As extra said, uh, it's amazing that we're more successful and they're not better known, really. When people sort of like, they'll bang on about classic LPs like Dark Side of the Moon and things like that. You just think, you have no fucking clue, have you? You're just talking out your ass. You know, just check out some really good out there experimental music with an amazing lineup. Great sort of like knowledge behind them. Trying to do something that's different instead of box standard bluesy bass stuff absolutely fantastic but i was uh, chatting to one of the guys who works at wigan station this week talking about music he's, he's pretty clued up and uh, he got talking about can and he asked me which lp would you recommend for me to get started on i, I just kind of went you know, start from the beginning <laughs> have you any suggestions there for which which can lp uh, should be at the, the starter lp for new newbies to come i i got introduced to him for reggie bamyasi and that blew my tiny human brain and then i i think i mentioned that to you and you were like oh get on this monster movie you got me into into that Malcolm Mooney stuff, Alice. And you've also said right. something though that, that I was going to reference really, which is I think can form part of like a cycle of bands that you get into when you start experimenting with what you're listening to. And I think it starts off with Pink Floyd and then there's like Velvet Underground. And these are like touchstone bands out there. If people reference them when you're talking about music, it's like, oh, I, I know where you're coming from. And like Can is the third one along. If people start talking about Can, you think, oh yeah, they know what they're talking about with music. <laughs> That's it. Next thing you know, you're talking about Robin Gressel. <laughs> so that was uh, a concise look at <laughs> the influence of Can. And uh, as we said before, um, we hope you're on board with this. And if you're not, you can F off because it's our podcast. Uh, thank you very much, Phil. That was delightful. And um, many, many more influences to dig into, but they don't get much bigger than can. There's going to be a lot of stuff this evening that's directly influenced by those those young men. So we're going to go straight in without further ado into the content of this evening. And we have got Eat Yourself Fitter up against, let me read the whole list because last time I didn't and that was a bit confusing for all involved. So tonight we have Eat Yourself Fitter, or perverted by language, up against two ink of this nation saving grace if that's how you say it and then cab it up 
of Curious Orange up against H.O.W. of Seminal Calendar, which was a, a B-side in the Levitate era, up against Where's the Fucking Taxi? Fire You Are Missing Winner. And finally, Portugal of Country on the Click up against Midnight in Aspen off Fall Heads Roll 2005. So first up, the absolute majesty of Eat Yourself Fitter. Give us a blast, Philip. Confidence of Henry Glasspan. That bit. That bit. That's the best bit. I'll <laughs> <laughs> the furniture trade. Got a new job today. Inspect the cretter, the number three lathe. Eat yourself fitter. Ooh la la. Philip, you're up first. What do you make of Eat Yourself Fitter? Oh, wow. Uh, so this is biggie, isn't it? Is, isn't this the one that Radio 1 actually played when, when Mark e. Smith dies? Which is, Radio 4. Uh, the Radio 4. Third play to those guys. That's a, a fitting tribute. It's relentless, isn't it? It feels quite soon like they're just drumming it straight into your head. As I was listening to it again last night, it, it surprised me actually a few times this week because... I remember not being a huge fan of this song the first couple of times that I heard it and thinking, good grief, when's it going to stop? It's just, it just goes on and on and it's, it's pounded. The more times you listen to it, it really is rewarding because it's, you just start to hear more and more. I think the amusement that Mark has with particular lines like the repeating refrain in this and the playfulness that he has with it is, is just a real treat. It's very, very funny. And it's not entirely obvious where the humour is coming from. Sometimes it's it's just silly. And a bit of a narrative story there as well, which is great. But the, the main thing is just that relentless riff. And the, I, I can't not pass comment on the video because that makes me feel like I'm going to throw up every single time that I watch it. Never stops <laughs> not being nauseating to watch. This is a, it's a great song and it's a classic and uh, it's a big, big tune to start off with today. It's great. Absolutely. I put it as charmingly relentless in my notes. Unlike And This Day, which was horrific. This is. Uh, I do like the fact that he rhymes today with lathe as well. I think that's a fab rhyme. Very nice. Ezra, what's your take on Eat Yourself Fitter? Pulverizing good stuff and packed with fiber. It's interesting, actually. Like a while back, we um, we covered "Perverted by Language" as an album. So I was doing my listening research, armed with quite a good amount of booze. I was well within my cups, and I put on "Perverted by Language." There's just this point where the uh, backing vocals, which I'd never noticed, that there's like someone. I think it might be Carl Burns doing some Goblin-esque backing vocals and they're like eat yourself it uh it just got my gag reflex and i had to you know i had to turn everything off and almost puke i resisted the 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 call but yeah you know it, it's a really thunderous powerful brutal pukey track 
It's great. It's great. Like one of the big highlights for me is where he's like, where's the cursor? Where's the cursor? It's, you know, the first time I heard that. And, you know, I am a fan of wordplay, but I'd never thought that you could conflate curse with cursor. Although it's obvious in retrospect, you know, he brought that to my attention. And for that alone, I commend. Beautiful. Alistair, what do you make of this one? I bloody love it. It's, it's a great tune, in it? It's a, a really good one for getting rid of unwelcome visitors to your house. Put that on. They'll be gone in five minutes. Not a problem. Mind you, if they want to stare, you know, then clearly they're not unwelcome. Join in the fun. Kind of, it's, it's a good screening tool for house guests. Amazing that it's every single riff in it is just dead annoying. All the instruments dead annoying every every element to it is annoying but somehow it works it's it's fucking genius i'm gonna leave it at that it absolutely is Uh, yeah the drums play the melody all the instruments again play the melody just that kind of chugging relentless thing and on the video you can see scanlon playing the guitar and he must have it tuned to some tuner because he's just moving his finger up and down the fretboard um, no, it's bowls under the So he's just playing some kind of atonal 11th or 13th chord or whatever that is. Well, in an economy drive as well with the uh, with, with the drumsticks, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's heavy on the uh, on the toms and the snare uh, cymbal in there. But you've got to bear in mind there was two drummers, so it's going to be very expensive for sticks. They probably shared them. They did have, in the video, they're having a fight, right? There is a section where the two of them are scuffling. And the, yeah, the Carl Burns backing vocals I'd never heard before, but he's the star of that video. Uh, in the song is the backing vocals. <laughs> the chromatic kind of, the, someone's leaning on the keyboards, just like, there's these kind of like keyboard kind of like throbs that come in and the atonal guitar interjections. Um, uh, and then the reveal at the end that um, the centimeter square, which I always took as being the acid trip so you you go through this kind of like half surreal story of his day with all these Cronenberg on a budget kind of video <laughs> panic on the streets of Granada land yeah it has a dig at Kevin Ayers and the soft machine kind of scene but I, I dig that I love the Canterbury scene portly and with good grace the secret straight back ogre entered his brain of flame with all the dreams it had conjured just absolutely beautiful lyrics magical unparalleled in the world but not in, but not in the falls back catalogue. Wonderful. What does Tim Three, in <laughs> the Takeover King, what does he think of this? So Tim Three has said, "Eat yourself fitter, brutal, alienating, funny, and terrifying all at once. It just pounds and pounds. And if it ended up getting the crown, I wouldn't be at all disappointed. For me, this song is." Or Ambrosia, the essence of the fall in its most concentrated form. I remember hearing it for the first time and being flawed, and the impact hasn't been much lessened over the years. All hail the machine. I also have no idea what a mid dem is. Quite it's quite florid. Mid dem. Mid dem would mean uh, with in German. Uh, I believe. It's good to see that Tim Three is stepping up his uh, critique game. Good. It is up against. 2NK Roachment, a miniature little blip of a track off uh, This Nation's Saving Grace. Let's go. 
So another one of those weird ones that appears twice on an album. So it's actually uh, appears as Mansion at the beginning of the album and then comes back again as this. But Ezra, you're up first. What do you make of this? I thought it was lovely. It was interesting uh, reading the comments on the annotated full because there seemed to be a lot of confusion as to what the song was actually about. And that was interesting to me because it seemed pretty obvious from the title alone, that it was about mortality and it was some kind of like, well, you know, bollocks to encroachment kind of thing. Yeah, it's lovely. I love the uh, kind of theremin break in there. I love the uh, multi-tracked vocals and the real estate references. It's it's a perfect way to end an album. Beautiful. I mean, the hit, given that it's only a minute or so long, less than two, they build that mood in seconds. It is really yeah. effective. Yeah. Alistair, what, what does this do for you? Yeah, I quite like it. So it's a really nice tune. Um, did notice the, the vocal harmonising. Uh, that's quite interesting because it's a bit of like, well, it's, it's, it is harmonising. Uh, so it's, it's doing it nicey, nicey. Brix's backing vocals as well work really well. I think it'd have been interesting to hear, you know, like the two tunes put together. That's probably as it was in written. Maybe Mr Smith's uh, had a bit of a brainwave in the studio and uh, get on fuck this. Um, I'm going to chop it up. <laughs> but yeah, like it. I think um, the Saving Grace, for all its benefits, is the is the most well-behaved fall album. And I think, you know, this idea of bookending it with this tune at the beginning and end is quite conventional in, in many ways. You, you hear a lot of albums that do something similar. It's a, it's a weird choice, but it does work. Phil, what do you make of uh, two... Tonk Roachment. It's a small piece, but they do a lot with it. It feels like there's a lot more going on with it than, it, than there should be, really. Yeah, like you said, they establish the mood really quickly, and then about 40 seconds, about halfway through the runtime, this collage production starts on it, and I think it's really quite magical. I used to really love the piece of music, and it. my biggest compliment to it, really, is that it, I, I felt sorry the fact that it's come up against such a behemoth of the track, because um, up against other things that we've reviewed, even other things that have gone through, it could possibly have uh, given them a run for the money. Foreshadowing my, my vote, I guess. But in terms of this piece of music, I really enjoyed it. It's a beautiful piece. It's it's very light and delicate, even though it's this mysterious kind of theremin sound going on. It's, it, it has that kind of spooky idea. Uh, I read somewhere that Mansion referred to maybe the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland, and that was Bricks was involved in trying And so there is a kind of spooky kind of feel to it. But the two NK Roachment Yarbles, uh, Yarbles apparently um, is from Nadsat, from Clock Orange, and means testicles. I know Bricks has a bit of a, a Clockwork Orange influence in some of her song titles and lyrics. I'm not sure how much Smith was influenced by, by Nadsat and that kind of made-up language, but um, he wasn't afraid to obviously make up his own words and play around with that kind of stuff. I love the double vox, slide, double vocal lines as kind of uh, him duetting with himself almost. Yeah, it is beautiful, and I, I agree with you, Phil. I think it could have given other songs more of a run for its money. Once we've heard from Tim 3, we'll be ready to do the do. I'll tell you what, his handwriting is much neater. It's, it's a lot easier to read this. So he's, he's put, I agree. He's put this minor and melancholy Slice is a perfect ending to an almost perfect album with the wonderfully laid ghost host woos creating the queasy feeling. 
I love it. And my shit was longer. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that suffers in people's minds, my mind for sure, from it being only a minute and a half or so. It's like, oh, it, it can't be as important. We've got calendar coming up later, which, which is the similar thing. Comes in at clocks in at less than two minutes, but does the job. So you won't be surprised to hear that I am voting for Eat Yourself Fitter, although N.K. Roachment is a very charming track. Phil? <laughs> I guessed as much. Ezra? I'm going with the old brand. All righty. Alistair? <laughs> I'm eating myself fitter as well. Okie dokie. And uh, Timothy over there? Yeah. All hail, eat yourself is better. All right. Sadly, for the Yarbles, the eat yourself fitter goes Double through. Let us move on to the second era. We have Cabot Up up against H-O-W. So give us a bit of a blast of Cabot Up Uptown. Beautiful. Alistair, I'm coming to you first on this one, if you don't mind. Cab it up. Yes, indeed. Your business friend is Australian. Really good tune. B-side to... Oh, God, I forgot which one it is again. Did this last time. <laughs> It'll come to me later. Deadbeat Descendant. Uh, Deadbeat Descendant. That's or, is the that, one, yeah. or is that the B-side to this? There's some B-side shenanigans going on in this era. It's quite similar sounding songs, really. You can, you can pick out that, you know, that heavy bass-driven kind of riff you've got like you know, like seven driving bass drums the rhythm sections nailing it again nice keyboard riff that bobs in there occasionally i like it when the guitar gets noise in it as well uh, but it's, it's a right good stomper um not so the end of it the guitar's got a bit of chorus on it which makes it sound a bit like um peter hook i thought going for well yeah in the playing of it as well quite hooky-esque so it gives it a kind of like the sound like there's two basses on there that the snare fill on it uh, again, it, with, with Smithy screaming over the top, it, it's, it's really powerful stuff. Yeah, it's one that you don't hear that often. Yeah, it's, it's a great tune. Great, great full song. It's very poppy. Love the uh, the keys. But then once sell us to the guitar, the guitar's really atonal and it's really like pushing against the bass. And, and um, so the bass and the keys are really, really poppy and, and, and up-tempo and, um, and bright. And then this kind of like noisy atonal guitars kind of like almost fighting against it. Really, really nice. And then the Peel version, which has got this ridiculous twangy guitar and it's really hard. It's a great version. Shepherd's Bush Man Eats From A Can. <laughs> I like it, but I actually think Smith might be one of the weaker links on it. He doesn't do that much. I think the rest of the band are are pulling their weight more. It's certainly not a bad song. So what does Tim, the ex-Peel, think? The artist formerly known as Peel. He says, funky and driving and great fun. The fake xylophone sound is funny and I like the chucka chucka guitar. Shame the bass guitar is out of tune, which I find really fucking annoying. Maybe a bit lightweight, and the lyrical content doesn't exactly blow me away. But who could resist the energy of it? Exactly. I like it. I like the cut of his jib. Ezra, what do you make of this song? It's a brass bopper. 
It's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I can't believe it's a B-side. Just can't. Like, it would be... You'll have to. I, I suppose I will. One interesting thing is, I don't know if any of you fellas are familiar with a kind of bootleg uh, called Flabby Wings. No. I've not listened to it from beginning to end, but when I was doing my uh, Cabot Up research, there's a bunch of rehearsals for Cabot Up, and they're really, really interesting because the first one is basically the bass line and Mark, Marky e. Smith kind of giving direction. And then the next one, it just appears to be a dictaphone recording of him whispering, Cabot Up, and it's just whispering. And I was like, fucking hell, is that how he did it? It would seem that that's how he did it for this song anyway. <laughs> and it, it seems like a lot more thought went into it than, you know, might first appear. And it also sheds a certain amount of interesting intrigue onto the whole question of exactly how much was he in control musically of what they were doing? Because, you know, listening to these, he seems to be very much in control. Uh, I know that later on in the day, things didn't work that way, but if you can check it out on YouTube. But yeah, the back to the song, it's fucking great. Lyrically, it's maybe not the, the best of the best, but when it's that pulsatingly fantastic, it's good. Yeah, I think we don't want to underplay the many different ways that Smith kind of directed the band. And I know that the dictaphone recordings is definitely... It's definitely one of them. <laughs> it's a weird way from just to whisper into his dictaphone and then give it to them. And uh, but uh, that's that's how the magic happens. Technically, it wasn't a B side it because it was on a twelve inch with Deadbeat Descendant. They were both on the A side. It was the first track on on there. So, and uh, do you know who produced it and actually produced the Curious Orange album? It was Ian Brody, the lead singer of the Lightning Seed, <laughs> the punk mm. band. So there you go. Oh, he's got it. He's got it right there. Bloody hell, Ezra. Get it on eBay. You get, you get, you'll get. I didn't get a listening to it. 1600 yen. Get up on Discogs. Phil, what do you make of this splendid A side slash B side? Yeah, so the, the, it, it was the bass line that jumped out at first. It's it's a great pop song, isn't it? And it does, uh, it, it bounces along quite nicely. Really nice, chirpy keyboard sound. Surprisingly varied as the song goes on as well. The arrangement's quite clever on it for what could be on first listen you might think is a little bit fluff tune. I really enjoyed listening to it and found myself nodding along. And is it is the applause at the end uh, recorded applause or is it a live version? I think it's a studio version, but the, I've known in the past where they've, they've added stuff to soundboard recordings and things like that, but I, I don't know for this one. But it's, it sounds right. It sounds right to have the applause at the end of it. it the other thing that just jumped out to me really was how um, happy Smithy sounds. I know you were saying that uh, he's probably the weakest link in the song, but he actually sounds like he's enjoying himself on this. Yeah, it's a fun tune. Made this decision between these two songs a lot more difficult than I originally thought. But let's move on. Give us a blast of H-O-W. I can treat you to visit I like to delve into the structure of the last watches. And I am the one who stamps on all ages. From 16 to 40, over and under. I'm monolithic 
and the black ice on the corner I will take the mantle first on this one. Uh, it took me a while to get into it because it is kind of so minimal and there's just these interjections and not a huge amount happens musically at first to it, but I, it did really grow on me, the kind of minimalistic sound. Really love the tub thumping toms and just the kind of interjections of the bass. It was really the lyrics that got me. You know, this idea that H-O-W, the reveal again, is that uh, it stands for history of the world. And, uh, you know, there is definitely this idea that felt very Lovecraft, kind of like Gothic idea of speaking as history or God or death. It's not quite sure uh, like exactly who's speaking, but just love the lyrics. Easter Island being bamboozled by the tree rings. And it, I hold all time and can induce at one jet trains, lead paint and stamps on border forms. Misread Easter Island, put butter on plague style, spin complete revolutions and not bat an eyelid and alter tree rings so that what you are after, you'll never achieve with no amount of lumber. It's like, ah, that is... So, <laughs> so much going on there just in those few lines. And it's like the, the interplay of different time periods, the man's futility in, in terms of progress. Make you imagine from hunger, bread trees spinning, dripping with butter, just six inches higher than your upstretched middle finger. I'll place my new dust in your microchip vessels for daring to think all science is immortal. I could go on. It's just unbelievable. I gush with my... Uh, fall juices flowing out of my body and then pass the mic over to Phil Rigby. Yeah, it's a bit of a gem this, isn't it? It's so effortlessly cool as well. The the laid back nature of it, all, it really swings. It, it, it's like, a, I kept thinking about Thelonious Monk as I was listening to this. It's got that sort of uncomfortableness sounds the wrong word, but it, it, Thelonious Monk's girlfriend had a nickname for him, didn't she? She used to call him Melodious Thunk. And um, I think it's got that kind of weird, it's not really lurching, is it? It's, it is swing. It just swings all the way through. And yeah, the lyrics really jumped out at me as well. It, this is so poetic. This is so rich. The, the thing that really made the biggest impression on me was his sense of meter as he's singing it. And it's a great rhythm that he gets going as he's delivering on the words. But there's moments where, as I was following along, there were moments where my instinct would have been to make the words fit better, you know, more naturally to the rhythm. He barks against those instincts sometimes, doesn't it? It's all the richer for it where he kind of crowbars and runs roughshod over the other rhythms that are going on and all the background interjections of <laughs> going on with it. Is, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely loved this. Sweet. Ezra, how about you? Yeah, I also, I mean, at first blush, it's a bit of a sketch, you know, that, that was the first impression. But then you get to the lyrics um, and you get deeper into it and it becomes hypnotizing and it's monotony. And again, you know, if I was putting together a book of full lyrics, this would certainly be on the shortlist. To pick up from where you left off after the minute dust in your microchip vessels, daring to think all science is immortal, I am the one who will strike you down at once. For stretching time bracket and assuming that what is can be maladjusted, a rigid adoption of codes you had concocted, I can treat you to a visit to coastal pillboxes and show you all hideous microscope thingies and Hovis set up in London's psoriasis. 
<laughs> and, and there's a plethora of like lyrical touchstones in here. We've got the butter, we've got the Hovis, we've got London <laughs> thingies. <laughs> but it's it's marvelous. It's such a fucking treat. It really is. And it's tough because if we're going on the music, then I'm still on to cab it up pretty much. But the lyrics and the delivery like Phil was saying, really give this one a good shot. No spoilers though, thanks. Just beautiful. Alistair, what do you uh, make of H-O-W? Yeah, lyrics are great. I definitely like to go on a a tour of coastal pillboxes uh, with uh, Marky Smith as a tour guide. That would be interesting. Musically, it's okay. It sounds like they're trying to blag a swing groove, but I don't think they're convincing with it. I think that it's like a drop-down riff that they're playing but it, they've not got the, the kick-in riff. Uh, it's like that bit's missing. And it, it, it has a bit of a feel of the, like a, an espionage, hard-boiled crime film type thing to it from the 1950s or 60s. Lyrically brilliant, musically, I think it, it's just, it's lacking a little something. It's like a, the, the kick-in bit. Fair enough, yeah. I'll give you that. Tim 3. Tim 3 says, This is the real shit. Dirty and grimy with a perfect bass sound, equal parts spur and ramshackle. The Hegelian voice of history narrating, maybe. His interventions in the natural order of things. I like to delve in destruction, lust and debauches, don't we all? I find the whole thing hypnotic, and I've never paid much attention to it before now. I love it. (laughs) Strong feelings indeed. Um, and Seminole Live, notoriously a contractual obligation of an album, but um, it's it's already showing to have some gems on it. Let's take a vote. I'm going to go with H-O-W. How about you, Al? I'm coming it up soon. Sweet. Philip? How? Oh. Ezra? Yeah, I've got to, got to agree with uh, Alistair. Um Cabin it up, cabin it up, cabin it up town. Good stuff out there. So the uh, deciding vote goes to uh, the newest member of our crew, the body snatcher himself, Tim Three. Who wins it? Yes, I thought as much. Deep breaths. Passions run high in the underworld. Passions run high. Let's, uh, let's all calm down a little bit before we move into era three. But we have Calendar, a collaboration between Marky Smith and the badly drawn boy. Masquerade. Hey, don't you want to be called? Hey, don't you want to be called? On a brainwash today. I'm sober. A delight. Let's go first to him on other side. What does he think? I love this one. A quick one too, and it's off, and it doesn't sound like anything else from this era. Melancholy and piss, staggering, slight drizzle. I don't really wish there were too many other Falls tracks in this same vein, but I'm glad we have this oddity. Mm, I see. And Phil, what do you think? 
Oh, it's croony mark, isn't it? A lot of croony mark, a bit of crooning. Really reminded me of the Doors, this like Spanish caravan or something like that. It's it's also got a bit of a feel of the House of the Rising Sun, hasn't it, with that, that chord change going on. It's a bit of a different feel, but it is... We know that Mark is not afraid of the 60s and that's the, he, it's kind of the uh, the vein that he minds of, uh, of 60s track, isn't it? There's, there's psychedelic garage kind of bands, the Sonics at all. I, I get all that. I love the busy rolling drums in it as well and really enjoyed the, the dynamic shifts that go on in the tunes it goes on. So I'm kind of with Tim 3, really. It's a nice outlier in the mix, but I, I don't, I would uh, want to see too many of these. Mm. Ezra, how about you? Yeah, not a fan at all of this. If they'd have swapped out the guitar for like some organ, I probably could have gotten with it. But it's the the House of the Rising Sun. You sh- you've got no business, no business at all, getting anywhere near that unless you're a drunken fifty or older Japanese salaryman. <laughs> Those are the only people who are allowed to get near this. And you know, Mark certainly might have looked like one of those and, you know, shared quite a few of the behavioural quirks, tics, whatever you want to call them. But no, no, no. Noted. Ezra? Uh, <laughs> he, he, with that opinion threw me off so much that I, I, I can't think straight. Alistair, what do you make of this? Um... I can't get off the house of the rising sun thing myself, uh, which was a, a big hit for the animals, who I think were called the animals because they were so ugly, um, apparently. But it's well played, it's a short one. Again, it's, it's part of Smithy's uh, obsession with Richard Whiteley, with, um, doing a, a song after his Yorkshire TV programme that was uh, the anchor of for many a year. And I think last week we did Countdown, didn't we? All coming together now, isn't it? The, the clues are all there if you just look long enough and hard enough. I have a real soft spot for this because I bought the CD single when it came out and this was on the B-side and, and at the same time, uh, Badly Drawn Boy just come out and was putting out those seven inches on Twisted Nerve, which were really good. And they had the similar kind of feel. <laughs> they also ripped off House of the Rising Sun. They had a similar feel of these lo-fi kind of dusty 60s grooves. I really like the kind of bass breakdown that he does. There's some really nice things going on. And and I, I love Smith's lyrics. Um, the last three weeks of the greatest month of January or whatever he says. Um, October gives way to Christmas. It's a very good month last week. He's playing around with um, ideas of time and... I think he works well with individual people who come in and give him a, a unique track to work with. You know, he, he did the one with Spencer Burt Whistle that we loved, the Burt Girl in Shop. He obviously did the stuff with Colcott and uh, Mouse on Mars and even the stuff with Inch. I think it, he works really well when somebody comes in and does something a little bit different to what The Fall offers. Yeah, but it is a miniature thing. It only It's only a couple of minutes long and uh, it's not going to win over any uh, anybody who... Um, who's got their cock in their ear, like Ezra. <laughs> it feels good in my ear, Brendan. <laughs> I just wondered if it, if it was healthy, the, the way you, you you managed to twist your body in such horrific... It feels good, Brendan. <laughs> um, is that everyone? I'm so sh- I'm still shocked. Still shocked by those earlier opinions. Is that is that everyone? I think so. All right. It's up against what well, I think we'll all agree it will go down as the fall's greatest contribution to 20th century music or even 21st century. Where's no. the fucking taxi cunt? 
Cold classic. We've all been there. Did you, you, you add that guitar? <laughs> I remember that being on it all the way through. I wiped out from my memory. Um, Phil, what do you make of um, Where's the Fucking Taxi Cunt? Off Are You a Missing Winner? Literally off Are You a Missing Winner? Not a B-side, not an exclusive web content, but the centerpiece of the album. So, uh, <laughs> brave move. The first time that I listened to it, I really had no idea what I was going to say about this at all and I had no idea what to make of it. But the weird thing is, as I was uh, <laughs> listening to it, what about the seventh time of listening to this? I kind of, I found a way into it where I was actually just listening to, it's that Stockhausen thing about finding new ways of listening rather than new noises to make. And it really, it's it's a perfect capturing of that moment that everybody's been in on a drunken night out where you, if you listen to it when it gets about three minutes in, there's like these rushes of conversation where everybody's talking over each other at the same time and then it lulls into where nobody's talking and then they all start talking at the same time. And it's it's this really bizarre Mancunian symphony of voices that you, you recognise the, the tempo and the rhythms and the cadences in it, even though what they're talking is just the same thing over and over again, which is trying to establish where they live and what the taxi number is. Essentially, <laughs> yeah, that's the whole of the conversation. But it's, it, there's these wonderful pulses and rises in it. So listening to it as just an aesthetic thing, I actually quite got into it and listened to it a few times and enjoyed it. Um, and it's even, I think, Smithy would probably see this as a pure fall song. It's it's everything that the fall are about. It's challenging, it's innovative, it's found sound. There's even a, a hook in it, 785 all the nines. 789 all the fives, really. There's a rhythm to it, and it, it ticks all the skip boxes as well. And so I actually quite enjoyed it after listening to it a few times. And I, I think it's it works better than some of the other skits that we've, that we've heard. It is bold. And there is a you could think that on some level it's been edited or it was even scripted, but clearly it wasn't. We Yeah, we've been in those rooms. We've all been in those rooms. And so for us historically looking from the inside of that and knowing that and i also begin to think as it gets older and older historically or if you're from other places 
looking at it as a purely historical kind of document, as well as what you say, new ways of listening, John Cage, uh, even Eno, whose ideas of ambient was to take the fine sounds in a room and basically recreate them. There's a, there's a long kind of history of that. Now, obviously, <laughs> you might be giving it more credit than it deserves, but we also might not be. I don't know. Ezra? Yeah, you know, thinking about it from what you fellows have been saying, I want to do a kind of Alvin Yeah, I am sitting in a room with this, or just remix it into a jungle anthem. I'm not sure which. But, you know, getting to the, the actual track itself, I mean, obviously it's of massive anthropological import. This is the way that drunken middle-aged men in the North comported themselves. My main take from listening to it the first time and the next time and the other times was... How much I hate guitarists. <laughs> I was thinking about it, you know, what other kind of musician do you know who will just fucking start strumming, playing their instrument in the middle of a fucking conversation? You know, like I play clarinet and I don't have my clarinet with me when I'm shit faced talking to people. So I don't just suddenly like drop some fucking Sydney Bechet bullshit. <laughs> like it, it's just unforgivable. It's unforgivable, and it really makes me doubt the purity of Marky e. Smith himself, because I thought he hated musicians. And here he is with the worst kind of musician, chugging Baileys with red wine chasers. You know, what the fuck's that? Fuck off. Terrible. Where's my ocarina? But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's... You just meet yourself. <laughs> I've said my piece. I'm going to get my ocarina. <laughs> well, a point well made, Ezra. What does Alistair think? Is he wrestling with the plant? There, by the looks of it. Getting his drum kit set up. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go into a bit of the indexture. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, Devo quite a bit with the, uh, the conversation and... I wrote down the phrase, I fucking love you, you twat. Um, because I think that, that's a kind of feeling you get from it. It's, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I'd love them to sort of like use that kind of format more on Radio 4 for, you know, like the first programme. Um, yeah. You know, I, can, I can't see that happening in my lifetime. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. Have you read a, mic- have you read a microphone out of styrofoam? No, I've got, I can't just wait, I'm the snare drum. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you'd, you'd taken the thing off the snare drum, right? And it's rattling with you in time with you talking. <laughs> Beautiful. Excellent. I'll think, maybe that's something that we should pursue in the future more often. There's a, I have a tape, Phil, I think, potted at your house, that a drunken night with the... It's called um, Nidge and Mike at, at Pete's Bar or something like that. And I think it's we recorded it uh, and it sounds very similar to that. It's about 20 minutes of uh, of that. I would like to listen to that all the time. I don't know where it is, but if I can find it, I'll let you in. But... Um, well, 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 what does what does the notoriously unforgiving Tim Three, aka Farmer Peel, mm-hmm. think of this? A waste of space, reeks of desperation. <laughs> I knew he wouldn't give it even even the time of day. Even with his new body and mind, he wasn't doing much. So I'm going to go um, alphabetically. So Ezra, your second, <laughs> your first vote. Wes, please. 
Uh, where's the cunting taxi fuck? Nice. <laughs> Philip? Shitting taxi shit fuck. <laughs> shit taxi. Alistair? Yeah, I'm, I'm going with the, where's the fucking taxi, uh, which is amazing. I, I didn't think that this would be the taxi song that gets through. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still seeding that cab it up, so. Um, yeah, last week it was hotels, this week it's it's taxis. From what I can gather, Tim 3 is going with um, Calendar, which means I don't have to make the tough decision. I'm going to go with Calendar, but that puts taxi through, remarkably. And I'm not as disappointed as I thought I would be. I was fretting. I was, oh, what if, what if they don't, what if they don't put, ta- put Calendar through? Oh, and they've not. And it wasn't as bad. People out there, it's not as bad as you think. Moving on to round four, Portugal. Give us the last of this. Ezra, you're up first to deal with the magic that is Portugal. Standard industry procedure. To my to my great shame, I only really listened to this a couple of times because I was so busy listening to Can Bootlegs. And that's a great shame because it's fucking great. It's really fucking hilarious. For the record. It, 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 you know, it's, it's how we used to troll back in the days when gentlemen existed, you know, back in the day when we fucking didn't post everything about our bollocks onto the internet. But those days are gone, sadly. It's, it's, a, it's a churner. That's all. Right on. Alistair. Funny, isn't it? Yeah. It is like very creative trolling. Uh, so I agree with Ezra again there. The music sort of, um, the riff reminds me a bit of the Doctor Who theme. Yeah, that, that's about all I wrote about it, but uh, it's, it's, it's a great tune, just mainly for the, the childish humour uh, of reading out complaint letters that you've received and uh, using that as a, uh, the basis for your lyrics. Even though there's no Smithy in it, it's still, it's still funny. So he doesn't, it's not a cover and he doesn't write the lyrics and he doesn't appear on anywhere, but his fingers are all over it. You can just see <laughs> this is entirely his idea. And it's that thing of like, this person is genuinely aggrieved and he's just mocking him in a, on a platform that he cannot compete with. It's, it's similar to the sort of just like repeating what somebody has just said to you in a silly voice to belittle them. But if you had your own BBC One TV show and they were just a small child in, in, in the park. Sarcasm is the lowest form of wit. Exactly. That's big. It reminded me of uh, Half Man, Half Biscuit, um, National Shite mm. Day, and the glam, the glamish uh, stomp. I got that as well. And, and musically, it didn't it didn't do a lot, but um, just so funny. Like it is, <laughs> how offensive a human being you are. They were swearing, <laughs> throwing newspapers in snap balls, snap balls. <laughs> 
And he even keeps the language exactly it is. So this guy is like not obviously not a native speaker of English, is and he's really like tried to express himself clearly, but they've kept the language, even incorrect sentences, um, uh, just to double down on the mockery. How nobody in the hotel didn't complain, I have no idea. This is becoming comparable. He began, uh, spattered us across the plane and physically slapped members of the band, began banging on the door, <laughs> and then this what sounded like throwing himself against both mine and the cruise hotel room door. This is becoming unbearable, I believe. <laughs> this concludes my mail. Unbelievable, unbelievable. What does um, what does Tim over there think? There may or may not have been in on this. <laughs> He's scratched into the ether. This is actually pretty funny, but it's a shame it sounds like a Gary Little cover. Other than that, reading a fine novelty, but once or twice is enough. Yes. Now for me, how about uh, we get? I'll go on to Midnight in Aspen. Not what I think. <laughs> Not you. Sorry, I'm losing my mind. Have I asked any of you? <laughs> what do you think? Have we started yet? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, who's doing the actual reading out of the thing? Because it reminded me of the Nightingales. He does remind. There's that song that they just did where he, he talks about constructing the song. Right, that was on that Stuart yeah, Lee yeah. documentary. <laughs> the first couple of times I was listening to, it, I was trying to work out what it what it was because it, it comes across like all kinds of things, doesn't it? So whether it's an advert or a pop record or a tannoy announcement or a public health alert or um, glam rock. Yeah, I got that. A court transcript, maybe at some points. So it's it, it's doing something very different, and it's another one of them phrases. Isn't it? Like eat yourself fitter was a public health thing, I think, wasn't it? And it and um, for the record, is just like another one of those lines. I think like what I was always getting at. It's it, I always think about it when people say actually, actually in in conversation. <laughs> Because um, a, a little alarm bell was off in my head when people use that word, but um, it's it's enjoyable to listen to. I, I don't think the novelty of it does wear off. I think it's I think it's quite good. I do love Mark's instinct in picking out phrases like that, which become um, the more they get repeated, you kind of realise how ridiculous they are. I like that. It's the jobs worth thing, isn't it? Mocking the you can't write a letter with that and not and, and not have the piss taken out of you. you you're on very thin ice with anyone, but but with Mark was, Smith, what were you thinking? As I was, as I was listening to it, I, I did think he um, he doesn't like being told off, does he? It's like if anybody if anybody tells him off, he's like, right, I'm gonna get you. The right song for you. Then you'll see. <laughs> Absolutely. It's read, it's read, read by Dave Milner, who was the drummer at the time. What Phil was saying about the uh, repetition of phrases, it, it does bring me to mind of uh, Senior Twilight Stock Replacer, as well as Eat Yourself Fitter, which I think was actually an all-brand marketing thing. Or was it a I think it was all brand flex. It is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought about the he, he'd subverted it with the acid things like eating you like taking the acid tab and that that eating yourself into higher dimensions. Acid does make you more healthy. Doctor E over there, <laughs> Ebenezer Good. I lost pounds. <laughs> All right, moving on to the last one this evening. Just tell me if I miss anyone because I'm obviously losing my mind here. So midnight in Aspen, off fall heads roll.
Beautiful. Alistair, coming to you first on this little jazzy number, what do you make of Midnight in Aspen? It's quite a pleasant little ditty, isn't it? It's uh, Smithy sounding very chilled out to a chilled out backing tune. Not too wanky, or an are you? Yeah, it's, it's a decent little tune. I'll leave it at that. Nice, nice. I thought um, this had a lot of Radiohead-isms in it, which I don't mind. I'm a big fan of uh, Johnny Greenwood. I love Radiohead. It's not quite, not quite in their kind of area, but it, it's a lot lighter and jazzier than pretty much every other fall track out there. And uh, Steve Trafford, who was a guitarist at the time, I don't, don't think he stuck around very long, but there's not a lot else on the album. Even though it's a strong album, there's not much else that sounds like it. And again, lyrically beautiful. It's apparently about Hunter S. Thompson, who just died at the time. The fog sticks around. He aims the highest, bestest powered rifle at the stars. Orion, form pure light, spiritual, but as soft as the ascendant hit the mark. Those old frog 18th century revolters never said anything about this. It bounces back over irradiated sub-animal jackals and their grey red churned up roots. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Love it. Love this tune. What does uh, X Peel, Tim, think? This week has been great, and this is a perfect chrome. It's a shame they did a winter with it and split it in two, but even taking this part alone is enough to see it's a latter-day classic. Uncertain harmonies in the chords evoke the sparkling stars, and the bass sound of this whole record is the best it ever got after Hanley's departure. The improvised sounding vocal meditation on suicide and cosmic Russian roulette Sounds relaxed but still pointed. It's a real shame that it just stops with a small white part. Mm. Uh, what do you make, Phil? What do you think of this one? I'd not, I, I'd not picked up on the interest Thompson references in it, but I, I was absolutely blown away by it. I think it's a really beautiful piece of music, and it it reminded me of that Pure Cavalli track which I showed in the bunker earlier this week, which is the track I really like. And um, it's very jazzy. It's very jazzy. I I, I don't. You, you said so. You made a comment earlier this week, I think, about it changing time. So it's, uh, I don't think it does, but there's there's tricks that the guitarist uses to make it sound like that, like like they're doing something more complicated. But it just glides, and and the the wistful delivery from Mark is absolutely perfect. It's uh, I, I I picked up on the poetry in it, even though I didn't know what it was referencing. And now that you've said that, it kind of gives it an even more soulful edge to it all i think it's it's quite a fitting tribute but it's um absolute gem yeah i love that yeah and i think he plays a lot with with uh, hunter thompson's um kind of past especially the bit where because he lived in in aspen and um orion that he references is um known as the hunter yeah, he, he specifically references some of the stuff from the um, from when he's running. What's that book called? Is that Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail? Yes. But even without that, it was something special. Um, Ezra, what do you reckon to this? Well, this is so interesting because, you know, the first time I listened to it, I was sure, oh my God, they're, you know, they've completely copped this from another track. And in the end, 
I think I finally realized that they were just copying it from my memory and I'd actually heard it before. Um, How dare they? Terrible, terrible. But, you know, having said that, it, to me, it really brings me to mind of Faust, like the kind of pastoral tracks that Faust did. Faust, to me, you know, like if we're getting back onto the Krautrock business, Faust, to me, uh, second only to Khan, an incredible band. And, and they had these kind of pastoral tunes that were just achingly beautiful. And there was a fair amount of aching beauty to this as well. It's interesting because we're saying you were talking about Orion, but he actually says Orion. I don't know what that's about. Also, Brendan, I should pull you up because you were actually quoting lyrics from the reprise, which mm. I think might be a little bit illegal. I'm not sure. But the lyric I liked from this particular one was every chain on Jeep is bored, hyphen, aspen, ute, Ice Mountain of Jehovah. And, and, you know, he just lets those words drop into your head and you feel like, you know, the crunch of boots ascending a mountain, a rifle cocked to be blown into your skull. It, it's it's quite touching. It is. And um, thanks for pointing out my error. I always appreciate that. <laughs> but you have beautiful lyrics. And uh, this is a really, really tough decision because Portugal is so funny, but Aspen is just so wonderful and beautiful. It's um, It's a hard one. Have I listened to everyone? I think I have now, haven't I? Got to keep track of this shit. Let's take a vote. Coming to you first, Philip. It's got to be Midnight in Aspen for me. Okie dokie. So you got to go with your heart. Ezra, where are you going? When the going gets weird, the weird turns pro. Right on. And how about T3? Uh, Aspen wins. Oof. How about you, Al? Well, I'm a shallow bastard with a very childish sense of humour, so I'm going to Portugal. And uh, I am absolutely torn between uh, the two, but seeing as my vote no longer counts, I'm also going with Portugal. Um, but it is Aspen, Midnight in Aspen, that goes through. So this evening, just to recap, eat yourself fitter, history of the world, where's the fucking taxi cunt, and Midnight in Aspen have gone through against all odds. Well, and did Ezra just volunteer to do a Futures and Past on Faust? You should, Absolutely. I think uh, no spoilers. Very happy to, anytime. Beautiful. Uh, looking forward to all that. So uh, another uh, wonderful show from us all, like pats on the backs all around. And uh, I shall see you all in seven Earth days. Anything to say to these good people? Live long and prosper. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Where's the fucking taxi? <laughs>
Ah, 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 ah,